Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Good morning. Am I on? Yeah, we're on. Good morning. Welcome to Contrast Church. Um, I'm not your pastor. My name is Joe, and I'm actually the student pastor at a church up the road called Grace Fellowship. Many of you guys know that church, if you've been around here a while, is the building you guys used to meet in before you were in this building. So for me, it's really cool to kind of see this room so full, because kind of knowing I had a little bit of a backseat view of what you guys were like during the pandemic, during 2020, and it's really cool to just kind of see what contrast has, has grown into. So I'm excited to be here. Like I said, my name is Joe. If you haven't met me yet, I'd love to meet you after service. If you've been coming to Contrast Church for any amount of the last few weeks, then you would know that we're in our series called The Seven Churches. And it's the, it's the series called Seven Churches because we're going through the seven churches from the book of Revelations, chapter two and chapter three. And I think something that I just wanna say up front before we get into the content of Revelation is I wanna say this that these letters to the churches in Revelation, they're not written for us, but they are, or sorry, they're not written to us, but they are written for us. It's actually right here. If you want, I encourage you to write this down if you haven't. Um, But they are not written to us, but they are written for us. And what I mean by that is these seven churches were getting letters from John, from Jesus actually, through John to those specific churches. So when we read these letters and we study these letters, they're not written directly to Contrast Church or to my church, Grace Fellowship, but they are written for us because this is why they're written for us. And this is actually kind of my hope that as we look at this, this is what it would be. My hope is that we will be on the lookout for failures to avoid and examples to follow. So when we read from the church in Sardis, the church in Laodicea, in Ephesus, and today when we're going to read from the church of Philadelphia, that we can look at things that they did well, and we can look at those as examples to follow, and then we can look at things that these churches did not do well and as examples to avoid. Like, obviously, 2,000 years of context has changed, but the church goal, the church mission remains the same, and it's to reach people for Jesus. So we can look at what these churches were praised for as examples to follow, and we can look at things these churches did not do so well as examples to avoid. Well, I want to start with this. So recently, I've been really into the Netflix show called Alone. I don't know if you, any of you have ever seen. That show is great. And I was, it was just one night where I didn't quite know what I was going to watch. So I was just like, oh, I'll give this a try. And then I was hooked, and I watched the whole season in like a week. But this show is where 10 kind of survivalists get dropped in the middle of nowhere, and they're trying to just survive off the land. They're given like 10 items to bring with them. And then it's whoever is like last to quit. Like you, you also get like a button. And if you, at any point you're out there over in the remote wilderness and you want to go home, you can just like click this button and then like a helicopter will come pick you up and you can go home. But like whoever is last at the end of these like 70, 80, 100 days that these guys are out here wins like $500,000. So everyone's like super committed to try to last as long as they can in the remote wilderness. And as I'm watching this show, there's two things that I'm noticing. One, I'm thinking, I could do this, and that's a false sense of confidence. Like, as It's easy for me to say from the couch that I could do this, but I know myself, and on day three in the middle of like British Columbia, I'd be like, all right, can DoorDash reach me out here? I don't think so. 
But here's the truth. All of these contestants on this show are prepared, they're well-equipped, and they're confident. Like every single one of them on the first couple days that they are out in the middle of nowhere are thinking, I'm going to make it. I'm going to win this $500,000. I'm prepared. I've been training. I can outlast everybody. But then it starts to get hard for them. And after a couple weeks, a couple months of them being out there, they're realizing, I don't know that I can do this. And then one by one, they all start to quit. They all start to hit that button and come get rescued. They're starting to miss their families. They're starting to get really hungry. They're their log cabin that they built with sticks is starting to not hold up. This one guy, he actually had his, his house caught on fire from the campfire he built in his house, which was pretty sweet because you got to stay warm. But one by one, all of these guys and girls, they just started to quit because it got hard. And there's something that I noticed from watching this show that I also think is true about our culture, and it's this, is that we live in a culture where quit, quitting is common that we live in a culture where quitting is common. Here's what I mean. 50% of marriages end in divorce. 50%. 65% of gym members quit their membership within the first 28 days. You guys know this. The gym is bumping on January 1st, and then it is a ghost town in February because everyone's got their New Year's resolutions, they're getting excited about their fitness goals, and then they quit because it gets hard, because consistency is hard. 45% of Americans expect to quit their job within the next year. 45%, nearly half of the American working population is driving into work every day thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be at this job long term. And they quit. 97% of people who start a diet don't stick with it, and they end up gaining the weight back. And, it kind of, and not every quitting is for, for bad reasons. Um, you know, Some people quit for a lot of good reasons. Like Maybe you quit smoking. That's great. Or maybe you quit drinking. That's great. Or maybe you quit speeding. Or for me, I know I need to quit the second dinner that I have about 9 p.m. every night. Like That's something I recognize that I need to quit. So not all quitting is bad, but the truth remains that we live in a culture where people quit all the time. Quitting is super common. People tap out early. People want to push that button and go home and end the competition. And it begs this question, why do we quit so often? Or why do we quit so easily? And here's, here's how I wrote it in your notes. Because quitting is usually the product of fixating on what's difficult right now. Quitting is the product of fixating on what's difficult right now. You join a small group, and you're really excited about the first couple weeks of small group. But over the course of the year, you get busy, your friends get busy, and you stop making it a priority because of how you feel when you get home from work every day at 5.30. You feel tired. And you don't necessarily want to go and socialize and do another thing in your evening. It's so much easier to just make dinner and sit on the couch. Because you quit when it gets hard. Or you quit on saving money. Like everyone, we want to stick to a budget and we recognize that that's good. But we fixate on what's difficult right now because right now it just requires too much discipline. Because if you really want to save money, that means you got to say no to the thing that you want right now, and there's nothing worse than going to Target when you're trying to save money. So you quit saving money. Or how about this? Maybe you quit on having regular date night with your spouse because of your marriage right now, and the truth is, is that your marriage is just hard right now, and you're not feeling it. So you quit having regular date night with your spouse. Or you quit waking up early to spend time with God because of how you feel 
when you wake up in the morning, which is tired, and you want that extra half hour. So over time, you slowly start to wake up early, less and less, and you stop getting that 30 minutes that you need with your Heavenly Father. But here's the problem with tapping out early. Here's the problem with pushing the button and quitting. Quitting when it gets difficult often causes us to miss out on what's most rewarding. Quitting when it gets hard often causes us to miss out on what's most rewarding. When you quit, the, when you quit going to the gym after the 28 days, you miss out on the long-term benefits of having a happier, healthier, more energy life. When you quit saving money, when you quit on the budget, you miss out on the long-term benefit that is financial freedom because it's hard right now. Or when you quit on date night with your spouse when it's hard, you miss out on the long-term benefit of a happier, healthier, more intimate relationship with your spouse. We live in a culture where quitting is common. People quit on things. You and I, we quit on things all the time. But the one thing we absolutely cannot quit on is our faith. It is the one thing we absolutely cannot tap out early on, and it's your relationship with God. There's a lot of young people in this church. Chances are you know someone who at one point was walking with the Lord, and now they're not. Someone who you knew in college or in high school that was on fire in their relationship with Christ and now they're not. It just fizzled out over time, or something hard happened in their life, and they bailed on God. You cannot quit on your faith. The culture where quitting is common cannot happen in the church. Absolutely cannot. Or maybe it's not that you don't know someone who's walked away from their faith. Maybe if you're being honest, you're kind of in a season right now where you're not as fired up about God as you once were. Maybe at one point, you could not get enough of time in the word with God. You couldn't get enough reading your Bible. But now it just kind of feels like work. And you're not as excited about it as you once were. Or maybe following Jesus was so much easier when you were in college and you were maybe around a group of friends that was really excited about Jesus. And then you guys all graduated. Some of you moved to different cities and you lost that community. And now you don't know how to follow Jesus anymore because you're not plugged into that community anymore. The one thing we absolutely cannot quit on is your faith. This letter to the church in Philadelphia that we're going to read today is all about this reality. And John, Jesus, through John, is going to tell the church in Philadelphia, hey, here's what happens when you endure when you want to quit. So if you guys have your Bible, I would encourage you to go to Revelations chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Three. And uh, I'm going to be reading from the NIV version, so I know some of you guys, I know not everyone at this church does NIV, so if you need to like recalibrate your phone to the NIV version, I recommend you do that. It'll also be on the screen behind you. But before, while you're flipping there, a little bit of context on the church in Philadelphia. So we're not talking about Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We're talking about Philadelphia in Asia Minor, not the land of cheesesteak and the Eagles, but a different <laughs> Philadelphia. And in this church... It's actually a, a group of converted Jews. They were a group of, of Israelites. They were a group of Jewish people who then heard about Jesus, heard the gospel. They met Jesus, and then they started to convert to Christians, and they became the church in Philadelphia. Now, at the time, the city of Philadelphia was really kind of pulled in two different directions. There was two different cultures going on within the city of Philadelphia. There was the secular Greeks who worshipped money and sexuality, 
And then there was the traditional Jews that were still in the city that were all about tradition and obeying the law and all that stuff and the prophets and all that stuff. And then smack dab in the middle of kind of those two different cultures was the Christian church in Philadelphia. So there's people in this church that are constantly like trying to follow Jesus. They want to follow Jesus, but they're kind of being pulled to this culture and they're kind of being pulled to this culture. And so Jesus, through John, is writing a letter to the church in Philadelphia about how to not quit when it's hard. So we're going to pick it up in verse 7, and here's what it says. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, These are the words of him who is holy and true, the one who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So in other words, these are the words of Jesus. This isn't just simply John writing his letter. This is the words of Jesus. Jesus speaking to John saying, hey, John, write this down to the church in Philadelphia. The one who is holy and true, Jesus. The one who opens the door that no one can shut. We sang about it in in that second song today, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to a relationship with God unless it's through the person of Jesus. So Jesus is reminding the church in Philadelphia, like, hey, I am still the way. Like, I know there's some good things going on in your church, but don't forget about me. Don't forget about the reason that this church exists, the reason that things are growing in your church, the one who is holy and true. And it says he he holds the key of David. So remember, this church was a group of converted Jews, so they would have been familiar with the prophet Isaiah. And in that book, the book of Isaiah, there's a section about the key of David. And what the key of David is, essentially, it was a key that allowed you access to the king. Like you couldn't go see the king unless you had a key. I don't know why, but that was culture back then. You, you couldn't get to the king unless you, had a seat, unless you had a key. So what Jesus is saying is that I'm the one who holds the key to get to God. Like You can't get to God unless you go through a relationship with me. And that's what he's reminding the church in Philadelphia. All right, let's move on to verse 8. Verse 8 says this. It starts out with, I know your deeds. So for some of you, that might be like, really comforting, like, oh, that's cool, like, Jesus knows what's going on, but that could also be really scary, like, oh, Jesus knows my deeds, like, he, he, but he's telling the church in Philadelphia, like, hey, I know what's going on in your church, like, I know that things are growing, that people are getting baptized, that the congregation's getting bigger, there's some really good things happening in your church, and I, and I'm aware of them, like, I'm in, I'm over all of that, like, I know your deeds, the verse goes on, it says, see, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. So just another reference to Jesus being the way, the door that has been opened. When, he, when Jesus died on the cross, he opened a door for us to get to God. He opened the door of salvation, the door that no one can shut. And then here's, the, here's the, the key, maybe the key verse in all this. He says, I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. I imagine some of you in this room feel this way, like you have little strength, like you're burnt out, you're tired. And Jesus knows. Like Jesus is not unaware of the, of the things that we feel. I think, I know for me at least, like sometimes I struggle to bring those things to God because I'm like, he already knows. But he wants to be in that. Like Jesus wants to be feeling what you're feeling. He does feel what you feel. Jesus was a real person. He was a man that walked earth. He knew what it meant to have little strength. When he was hanging on that cross, I'm sure he felt like he had little strength. And he's saying, 
I know you have little strength, Church of Philadelphia, but you have kept my name. You have endured in spite of that. You have not denied my name, and you have kept true to my word. Verse 9, it says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come down and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. So there's a lot within that section right there. But one of the things that's true is that Jesus is acknowledging that there's a real danger for people claiming to be followers of Jesus who are not. There's a real danger for for people who are all about Jesus at 10 a.m. on Sundays, and then they're not living for him for for Monday through Saturday. Jesus is acknowledging, like, that 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 shouldn't happen, and I'm not about, about that. And then he's also saying, at the heart of this, though, he's like, but you, church in Philadelphia, you've held on to me. Like, you, I don't think that you are that. I don't think that you are the people who have denied my name. You're not the secular Greeks who are worshiping money and, and sexuality. You're also not the traditional Jews who are just, like, hanging on to the law and not believing in that your sins are forgiven, <laughs> that you're, you're hanging on to my name, that you're being patient and you are enduring patiently. He's saying, I'm holding on to you. You're holding on to me. I'm not going to let go of you, but you better not let go of me. Let's see, we're at verse 11, verse, verse, sorry, verse 10. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the whole earth. So what Jesus is saying here is you've kept my command. Like, like endurance is a command. Like Jesus isn't saying like, uh, you, yeah, you followed me in college, and then you took a break in your 30s, and then you came back in, in your late 30s when you had kids and you wanted your kids to know Jesus, so you brought Jesus back to the forefront of your life. It's like, no, this is your all-day, everyday life, is to follow me. This is my command to you to keep enduring amidst a culture where quitting is common. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So Jesus is acknowledging, like, hey, I'm coming soon. Like, the story isn't over yet. Like, I am going to return. And that's a big reason why we should hold on is because we know the hope that Jesus is coming soon. And then also in this verse, it talks about so that no one will take your crown. Now, many scholars believe that this is the same crown that was referenced just a couple letters ago in the church of Smyrna. If you guys were back a couple weeks ago for that, you remember that, that teaching, and it was this idea that the victor's crown was bestowed upon those who persevere under trials. So in other words, what Jesus is saying here is like there's a, almost like a special prize for those who keep hold of my name amidst a really challenging time, like amidst a really challenging life situation, life circumstance against when all of my friends want to keep walking away from their faith, I'm not going to, and I'm going to receive the victor's crown. And it's a symbol that, uh, it's a symbol that represents a rich and enhanced eternal life. Verse 12. To the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Okay, so, gosh, I love Revelations. (laughs) 
The city of my God, that's a, ref, a reference to the new heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. Many scholars believe that when you go to heaven, you will in, in, inherit into a new heavenly city. So what Jesus is saying is that to those who endure, to those who keep true to my name, keep true to my word, I will, I will roll back the mysteries of God right in front of you. You're going to get a front row seat as I take you into the new heavenly city and I reveal all the mysteries of the kingdom to you. That's pretty sweet. I want to be a part of that. I don't know about you guys, but I sure do. And then I love how Jesus uses the analogy of a pillar here because he's, he's playing to the context of what was happening in the church of Philadelphia. So the city of Philadelphia back then lived right on a fault line and experienced a lot of earthquakes. And when it experienced earthquakes, something that would help keep the city together was pillars. It was really cool that Jesus like, was speaking directly to the city knowing that. He's saying, hey, you're on a fault line, there's a chance of earthquakes, and these are what's going to keep you afloat. This is what's going to keep you together. This is what's going to not make your city crumble down when the earth shakes, is these pillars. And what would happen with, with, was these pillars would get names engraved on them over the course of their life in the city. So if you were a person who was recognized as doing good for the community, you know, someone who maybe gave a lot of money to the local church or was really invested in some local nonprofit or was leading a really awesome uh, group of people, like you would get your name engraved on one of these pillars so that when people walked through the city of Philadelphia, they would see your name on all of these pillars. And these pillars were representative of someone who endured, who someone who was, was out for God's own heart during that time. So really cool that Jesus chooses to use that analogy. And then this is how the letter ends. It says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And guys, here's what the Spirit wants to say to the church. And this is the big idea for the whole message. And it's this, is that victory belongs to those who endure. Victory belongs to those who endure. Not to those with the most square footage on their house. Not to those with the most zeros in their bank account. Not to those who are involved with the most church things. But to those who endure. But to those who keep Jesus' name. To the ones who keep the commands of this. Who don't stop reading this and living by this. Victory belongs to those who endure. The biblical definition of victory in this passage is all of the blessings in the kingdom of heaven will be inherited by the one who is victorious. That's beautiful. I'm going to read that again. Victory is all the blessings in the kingdom of heaven that will be inherited by those who are victorious. Like, guys, there's a real reality that, like, following Jesus now doesn't compare to the joy that we will experience when we get to heaven. And Jesus is saying to the church in Philadelphia and to all of us today, like, hang on, because I'm going to reveal the mysteries of heaven to you. That you're going to get an inheritance that is unlike anything you've ever experienced. And that is just so cool. Victory belongs to those who endure. But guys, here's the truth. This isn't easy. Like I said, we live in a culture where quitting is common. We live in a culture where people walk away from things when it gets hard all the time. You and I, we walk away from things all the time when it gets hard. So here's how we endure. I'm calling this the three pillars of endurance. That if we hang on to these three things, that we'll be able to endure and we'll be able to be victorious. And the first pillar of endurance is this, is that we are guided by the word of God. That we are guided 
by the word of God. Jesus said in verse 8, I know you have little strength, but you have kept my word. Like, I know that even though you feel weak, you feel tired, you feel burnt out, you have kept my word. We are guided by the word of God. Um, my, my job before I was on staff with, with Grace was I was a high school soccer coach. I coached the, the junior varsity team at Centennial High School, and man, we were so okay. <laughs> I mean, we won like half our games. <laughs> but one of the things that I would do at practice with my players was every now and then you get like the one or two players on your team. So frustrating, but they kind of like start to feel like they're above the team. Like they think their individual skill like surpasses the team because they might have a chance to like maybe play on a college scholarship, which is great. Like I love that for them, but it's still a team sport. And what I would do was when I had a couple of those players who would feel that way was I would institute what I called the blob run. So every day at practice when we'd go out on the track and we'd start running, if I felt like our team was kind of losing their togetherness, I'd be like, all right, we're doing the blob run today. And the blob run is where everyone on the team would have to run together. And you couldn't drift from the pack. If there was a kid that was running out a little bit ahead of the pack, then he would either have to slow down or the pack would have to catch up to him so the pack could stay together. Or if there was a player who was a little bit on the slower side who was drifting behind the pack, the pack would have to slow down or the blob would have to slow down in order for them to stay together. And this was a really awesome way to help our team promote togetherness, and it was really a way to combat drift. Because, here's the truth, is that, sorry, I'm a little bit lost. Okay, yeah, when a player is drifting from the blob, the rest of the team would have had to hang with them to push on. So the blob run acted as a way to combat drift. So when someone felt like they were drifting from the team, or they were drifting from the mission, they were drifting from the goal. They had people around them to bring them back to the blob. We are guided by the word of God, and we are challenged by the people of God. That's, that's pillar number two. We are challenged by the people of God. This letter to the church was not written to any individual person. This letter to the church was written to a church, was written to a group of people. Jesus was acknowledging that this wasn't just something that one person in the church was wrestling with, this was, a, this was a whole church effort to endure. This was a whole church effort to combat drift, to combat people walking away from God. We are challenged by the people of God. Do you guys have people in your life who aren't letting you quit on your faith? Like, do you have people in your life who are asking you hard questions, who are helping you when life is hard? Do you have people in your life who, when you are being honest with them about how you're doing with God, that they're, they're leaning in, they're not giving you space. Like, I, I think one of the things I see so often with, with young people specifically is that when they have a friend who is walking away from God, they think they just need their space right now. And guys, I'm going to lovingly tell you that I don't think that's true. I think the most important thing you can do for a friend who's walking away from God is to keep putting Jesus in front of them, even if they reject you. Even if they reject you, keep putting Jesus in front of them. That is the most loving thing you can do for a person. Do you have people in your life that are doing that for you, and then are you doing that for other people? Like I said, I think we all know people in our lives who have drifted away from God. You think they need space, but they don't. They need someone like you who's going to put Jesus in front of them. So I'm challenging you guys this week, text that friend. Schedule lunch with that friend. Schedule coffee with that friend. 
and then just sit across the table from them, look, look at them in the eye lovingly, and say, hey, I am not going to let you walk away from Jesus. Like, I know at one point you were running hard after Jesus. You didn't forget. You didn't forget about the cross. You didn't forget about, you just drifted. You just slowly stopped prioritizing the things of God. And I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let you walk away from your faith. So the first pillar is that we are guided by the, by the word of God. The second pillar is we are challenged by the people of God. And the third pillar is this. We are comforted by the hope of God. We are comforted by the hope of God. Jesus said in verse 11, Behold, I am coming soon. Reminding people of the mission. Reminding people that I will return someday. Have any of you guys ever like watched a movie for a second time? Like, Of course we have. We've all watched movies for a second time, and it's one of my favorite things to do specifically is watch a movie for the second time with someone who's never seen that movie to kind of see like their reaction. So I remember in college, I was re-watching all of the Star Wars movies with one of my roommates, Seth, who had never seen any of them. Like, first of all, I don't know how you had gone your whole life without seeing a Star Wars movie. Also, if you're in this room, if you've not seen a Star Wars movie, repent, seek Jesus, and watch a Star Wars movie. They're great. Well, we were watching these movies with, with Seth because we were gearing up for one of the big Disney pr- premieres, and there was a couple moments in specific when, when Seth was watching these movies where he would just like, he didn't know any of the characters' names or anything. He was so lost, but it was so funny. He'd be like, oh my gosh, did red spiky hair guy just kill Liam Neeson? Yeah, man, it happened. I'm sorry. And he would like freak out about that, and then like a couple movies later, he'd be like, what? Darth Vader's Luke's father? I'm like, and you knew that. We've already seen the third movie. But anyway, like, as I was watching these movies with Seth, it was so fun to just kind of see his reactions because here's the truth. Where he was experiencing big emotions, I was not because I knew the end of the movie. Like when Seth was experiencing anxiety about not knowing what was going to happen next, I had peace because I knew what happened. I knew the end of the movie. When he had sadness over a character's death, I had hope because I knew that this is all going to work out for the good of the rebellion or for the good of Star Wars. When he, (laughs) that one's not in my notes. (laughs) Man, that was preaching. (laughs) When when Seth was fearful, when he wasn't sure how how the story was going to get resolved, I had confidence because I knew the end of the movie. Guys, when we are drifting in our relationship with God, when we are feeling anxious or sad or fearful, we can have peace, hope, and confidence because we know Jesus is coming back. We know the end of the movie. Don't quit in the middle of the movie. If you really believe that Jesus is coming back, how ridiculous is the thought of walking away from your faith? If you really believe that Jesus is going to return someday, if you really believe that you know the end of the movie, don't quit in the middle of the movie. And don't let your friends quit in the middle of the movie. If victory belongs to those who endure, then we need to know how to endure amidst a, amidst a culture where quitting is common. And we do that by hanging on to these three pillars. We are guided by the word of God. We are challenged by the people of God. And we cling on to the hope of God. If you guys have been coming to Contrast Church for a while, then you know we always take communion. Um, and this is something that we, we say that, that Christians can participate in communion. Um, so actually, I would invite the band to come up, and you guys can play as, as this happens. But 
Um, so if you're, if you're visiting or, you, or new and you don't know what communion is, communion originates from the Last Supper with Jesus. And Jesus was sitting with his disciples before he was going to go to the cross. And he kind of started passing out the bread and he started passing out the drinks. And he would say, the bread, this is my body that is broken for you. He would say that this, he was passing out his body, he was breaking the bread, and he was saying that this is my body that's broken for you. Don't forget what I'm about to do on the cross. And then he's saying with the same thing with the cup, that I'm passing out this cup, this is my blood. That was a representative of the blood that was shed for you, the same blood that wiped us away from sin. So as we take communion, I want you guys, I guys, I want you guys to reflect on this question. Which of the three pillars do you need to embrace? Which of the three pillars do you embrace? Or maybe you need, you need to embrace all three to some regards. Do you need to get back to the word of God? Do you need to start setting your alarm 20 minutes early again and just get that time with the Lord, even when it's hard, even when you feel tired, because you're going to get the long-term benefit of having a deeper, richer, intimate relationship with Jesus? Do you need to go back to being challenged by the people of God? Maybe the truth is, is that you have people in your life, but you haven't been as good about reaching out to them recently. Maybe you need to start going to small group again. Maybe you guys need to join a group this fall and get back to being surrounded by the people of God. Or maybe the truth is, is you're doing all the right things. You're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're in a group, you're surrounded by community, but you just still kind of feel hopeless. Maybe you need to go back and remind yourself of the hope that is to happen is to come with Jesus. Maybe you need to go back to the place where, you, where your faith was new. Like we all remember when we met Jesus for the first time and the joy that was in that season that followed. Maybe we need to get back to that. Maybe we need to get back to, to remembering that feeling and chasing after the hope that is found in Jesus. So as we take communion, I, guys, I want you guys to reflect on those three questions. Which pillar do you need to embrace? Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.